0: The Flight Deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org podcast. Hello and welcome to the Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. If you visit the museum on a Friday afternoon and head over to the museum's NASA Space Shuttle Full Fuselage Trainer, you are almost guaranteed to meet Bob Alexander, a docent at the museum. Bob spent a career in aerospace engineering and one of the crowning achievements of that career was his work as one of the first engineers hired to design the Hubble Space Telescope. Bob sat down for an interview about his work with Akshay, a student from Tesla STEM High School in Bellevue, Washington, who researched and developed his own interview with Bob. So now I'll get out of the way and let Akshay present you with his conversation on the Hubble.
1: Hi, my name is Akshay Murthy. I'm from Tesla STEM High School and I'm a sophomore. Space and STEM has really interested me since I was young and I'm so glad to be speaking to an Hubble engineer, which is such a fascinating thing to me and I'm excited to dive into this interview. Yeah, so I'm here with uh, Mr. Bob Alexander, so um, I'll just ask you a couple questions and then we can get this started okay first off what got you interested in pursuing jobs related to airfield space
2: when i went in the navy in 1945 i was interested in aviation so i applied for a job i really found out about this stuff on the job it was all on the job training there were no i didn't go to any school or any of it i just went in and i started drawing pictures of p2v airplanes then i went to lockheed constellation and then i worked a little bit on some parts for the lockheed electra then I went to Missiles and Space Company, and I started out doing handling equipment and eventually worked into working on a real satellite, and I just stuck with that. And I impressed some, somebody, and, he, and the heat just kind of kept me aside. And every time something came up, I got a lot of good jobs I never really thought about until recently. That Then one day, he says, would you like to come to work in the Hubble telescope? And that was in 1977, and uh, I retired off that program.
1: What was your experience like working on the Hubble t- Space Telescope for approximately 10 years?
2: It started out, uh, I got a copy, as I remember, and that was a long time ago. But as I remember, I got a copy of the proposal drawing that was submitted. I was the first engineer hired to work on it. Wow! So I, I started on the equipment section, which is a big section in the center of it that carries all the loads and gets all the boxes and everything that runs the telescope. And I, you know, I, I just, as far as I know, I looked at it. I said, well, this is about what it is. So I put a piece of paper in a drawing board and started drawing pictures. Yeah. Then you you kind of put your knowledge into it, how you're going to do this, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, detail everything. And then as the program grew, uh, more people came in, and I had to give up my job of designing that. I became the supervisor of the structural design group. Mm. So basically I was in charge of all the structure that went into it.
1: All the structure, nice. When you were working on that structure, how difficult was it to get things right? Or essentially, I'm sure there was like a huge learning process and a learning curve and uh, just many things that went into it. So how was that process for you?
2: Basically, everything you did was a learning process, but the more you got into it, the more it got there. It was picking picking certain materials, things like that, doing your preliminary stress work to make sure everything you, you did was right. And I was lucky that I had a, a, there was five sections on. There was one one engineer was started out designing each one of those, and uh, I just guess everybody was very experienced, so I didn't have to tell them too much. They knew pretty much what to do. They come ask questions about how something should be done, but uh, it was a, it was a very smooth operation. But it was just a matter of uh, we knew what we had to do, we knew how to do it, and we knew when we had to get it done, and we worked and worked at it and. And as it, it progressed, it, uh, it started out, actually what I was in, I was in charge of design, uh, manufacturing, assembly, the whole works on it. Of course, I didn't get involved in the manufacture. I'd watch so if they had a problem, I'd look at, well, this is what you need to do here to fix it or let them figure out what they had to do. But
1: Wow, that's that's
2: really fascinating. And I think most of it just came from 25 years of experience doing mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You, you pretty much knew what you were going to do. And most people working in it, been around long enough, they knew what they were going to do and how to do it and didn't bother you too much. Yeah, for sure. But it all fit together good anyway, so. (laughs) There
1: were many instruments that were included on the telescope, such as like the Near Field Camera 3, the Cosmic Origin Spectrograph, the Multi-Object Spectrometer, and um, guidance sensors along with many others. So how did you determine the variety of instruments needed and the jobs that it needed to fulfill?
2: Well, in do, doing what we did, we didn't have to determine any instruments. The electronic people that ran the telescope, what they do, they knew what they wanted in it. They knew what, and I didn't personally have to worry because one of the guys that worked for me, he was a supervisor of equipment installations, and he was the one that determined where all these boxes, and all it was all the black boxes that operated the thing. He was the one that determined where they went in there, so I really didn't have to get too much to worry about that. The mainly thing that I watched was the structure. The structure, you know, all you do is you, you provide some uh, fascinating locations for something goes into it. and you, you, you put a nut or some kind in there to work on it, and that's the way it went. And We did, we did get something. It seemed on the thing that every time we'd, we'd get some idea about something we wanted to do, Somebody else would come and say, "Well, you know, this is going to cause a problem." One big thing on it was to evacuate all the air mm, in the first yeah. few minutes of flight because this thing's got three thousand cubic feet of air in it. It's all got to get out in the first few seconds before you're into atmosphere where there's nothing. So we had uh, allowed in all the doors that went on since it was what this stuff we were working on didn't wasn't light tight or anything because of the cameras. They would. Uh, had a had a half inch gap around all the doors to let all the air out, and somebody came over and says, "Well, you know, there's such a sort of thing as called electromagnetic interference It's floating around everywhere. Yeah, and with all those doors open, all that all those little gremlins are going to go through all those gaps <laughs> and they're going to short out all your electronics. And every time the space shuttle comes up to find the Hubble, they're going to be shooting radar signals out to find it. There's going to be nothing left in there." So now we got to go along in that nice, nice gaps we had, well, we got to plug them. Mm-hmm. So, how are we going to plug them? Well, there's a good thing is a uh, bulb, what they call a bulb extrusion made out of rubber. So, it's, it's a kind of a rubber thing, got a bulb on it. And when you put the squeeze of two together, they seal, it's, it's, it seals it. Well, that's really great, but you know, this electromagnetic stuff doesn't get bothered by rubber, it'll go right through it. Yeah. Well, now what do we do? Well, let's, let's put some graphite in the rubber see how that works. Well, that was fine until so somebody says, well, you know, when it gets up there, it's real, real cold half the time, and all that rubber is going to crack, and it's going to go right through those cracks. <laughs> so now what do we do? Well, I thought and thought, and I says, you know, how about if we put a nylon tube inside each one of those bulbs, see if that will work. No, you can't do that. Nobody can do that. So the buyer that worked for the company that was on the program. He said, you know, I work for a rubber company in Michigan and he, I think they can do that. So we grabbed some uh, material we needed. We went back to Michigan and looked at that and they put this, rub- this bulb extrusion in it and it worked. So that's what it's got now, all the rubber seals up there. have got rubber seals on it with a little, little graphite tube that cuts, uh, makes it, the-, the rubber is nice and stiff now and solid and nothing will go through it and it's working fine. Mm-hmm, yeah. And there was all kinds of every, every day there was something new came up that we had to fight. I I can't remember all that stuff, but <laughs> yeah, we, must it, have it, been, it, yeah, it was kind of fun. to you know, go through and you know, barnstorm a little bit, figure how we're going to take care of this situation.
1: What advice would you give to these students who are aspiring to become an aerospace engineer, someone who wants to pursue you know working on like the future rockets or the future satellites?
2: Well, that's a kind of a big question. I think most of this. This stuff, you learn the basic things of design, uh, you know you have to know a certain amount of material stuff you, you cause you have to do some preliminary stress analysis. You're not got you got a little bit of a math background. Mm-hmm. I, I think most most of it you get in there. nobody taught me anything. I just get in there. you have to look at it. you, you, you put in your mind, you got be you gotta be a thinker. you gotta figure things out.
1: Kind just doing things yourself, and figure and figuring out, it out yeah.
2: yeah, figure out what you're what you're gonna do and and I guess. As far as in what what you get into, I think a lot of it in my case was just I was in the right spot at the right time, and I think too I don't want to blow my head my brains too much, but <laughs> uh, I create a lot of this stuff myself just by my earth my work ethics, and I've yeah. thought about this lately. How did it? How did all this happen to me? That I wound up with this, yeah. You know, um, and I think it was. I think a lot of it has to do with with the individual themselves and what they put into it. And be interested in your job. And uh, I learned one time that every uh, everybody was when I worked at Lockheed down at Burbank, and uh, there was a whole bunch of us in there. We were all draftsmen, and uh, there was a bunch of them. They were scratching and cackling and having a grand time. And I looked over there and I says, "You know, the boss is going to be watching them." Says, "I'm going to keep my head <laughs> on it. I'm going to keep my face face my drawing board." And I jumped about five different groups in in that thing into a salaried position from that. I think from that one thing there. And I think I learned from that when you're there, working work and mm-hmm. work. You know, you can have fun at lunchtime or when you yeah. get out of there at night. So.
1: Yeah, as you said, having a great work ethic and basically falling through on your goals I mean, and I just, think we're, yeah. I,
2: we're and it seemed every every job I got into I would I of course I would always tried to get close to the boss. Say, well, if I wanna be his number one guy. Mm-hmm. And most times it worked that way. Yeah. And I'd go from one job I I got picked off jobs that uh, I think there's no way in the world they'd be I used to get on some of these satellites, uh, there'd be a... our program would be done. We were just kind of in a waiting and see how everything works on it they have a problem on another program someplace so i'd get called to go over there and do it Mm -hmm. so i went over there and i did i i I don't remember any of that stuff what i did i know but i purposely when i walked out the door i forgot it all because it was a highly classified deal Mm -hmm. i forgot everything like that like there's only one program i worked on for about seven years i remember that one very well but i don't remember a lot of other ones
1: yeah that's very interesting, actually. And now, I guess since it's the final question, I'll leave you with a big one. So, what do you think is the biggest contribution of the the Hubble to mankind in general, and like what it brings to the world and just everyone?
2: <clears throat> the Hubble Telescope is an unheralded success. Uh, the finest scientific instrument ever built. Uh, you can look at the things it's finding in space and. And you know, I look at what it did and I said, oh, and all I did was put the thing together, but the people that, that I, didn't, I didn't work on how they point the thing. And the, the accuracy of some of these things that, uh, the, like the like, like pointing accuracy of this thing is all, no, there's no motors in this thing, it's all controlled by gyros. Yeah. Three gyros that do all the controlling of everything. It can, you could stand on a Washington Monument and point a laser. At somebody standing on the Empire State Building holding a dime, and you'd put this that laser through the center of that dime and hold it indefinitely. Its accuracy is 0.7 ten thousandths of a degree.
1: Yeah, seven. And ten it holds it of, yeah. that.
2: The pointing accuracy is, is that good, and mm-hmm. uh, but it, it has to do that to look at some deep dark space object that you cannot see from the ground and. And lock onto that as it orbits the Earth.
1: It goes past the atmospheric distortion that most telescopes actually face these days. So that's why the Hubble is one of the most powerful things, and it can take images of planets and stars with such clarity, which is unparalleled well, to other things, which is pretty amazing.
2: Well, we <laughs> we didn't have anything to do with that pointing accuracy, other than building a good structure that worked good, and there was no. Uh, no, no backup structures or anything built. All the first ones, they all worked.
1: Thank you so much for your time. It was definitely one of the best experiences I've ever had talking to an engineer himself about the whole process of this such amazing technology that's been invented and that has made so many discoveries for our, mm-hmm. for our generation and for more generations to come. So thank you so much for that.
2: Well, thank you for the kind words. <laughs> I'll remember them.
0: Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. And thank you to Akshay and his teammates from Tesla STEM High School who put this project together. Like I said in the intro, you can meet Bob for yourself. Most Friday afternoons, we just scratched the surface of the things he can talk about. You'll find him standing under the museum's half-scale model of the Hubble in the Charles Simone Space Gallery. He is more than happy to share stories about his time on the project for which for someone like me who grew up mesmerized by the images the Hubble took is pretty much a dream come true. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our episodes and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You can contact the show at podcast at museumoflight.org. And until next time, I'm your host, or I guess this week, facilitator, Sean Mobley, saying we'll see you out there, folks.